Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Candleland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Candleland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that's cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. This episode of Wag the Dog is brought to you by Penguin Random House Canada. June is National Indigenous History Month, and Penguin Random House Canada is celebrating by highlighting the amazing array of audiobooks they have by First Nations, Inuit, and Métis authors. They have all kinds of incredible titles like Split Tooth by Tanya Tagak, A Mind Spread Out on the Ground by Alicia Elliott, and Starlight by Richard Wagamese. You can get these audiobooks at your favorite audiobooks retailer. You also have a chance to win a collection of Indigenous audiobooks if you go to penguinrandomhouse.ca slash indigenousvoices. I'm Allison Smith, and I'm here to welcome you to the first annual 40 Awards, where we take a look back at the last 12 months since Doug Ford was elected Premier of Ontario. Are we calling them the, the 40s? I kind of like the Duggies. The Waggies? For the People's Choice Awards? The Order of Ontario. Well, they stopped handing those out, didn't they? Yes. But instead of like a boring pin like the Order of Ontario, I think we should give out like a shiny statuette. Maybe it's just, just a sticker telling people how much they've won. Yeah, you're right. It's a sticker. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and the award for most remixable campaign song goes to... Wag the Doug, this is the Waggies, or the Duggies, or the 40s, a pop-up award show about the Doug Ford government that is now one year old. Tonight we're going to be handing out Waggy stickers to the best and brightest of the Ford administration. At the Waggies, it's not about winning or losing. It's about how souped up you can get the OPP to make your security van. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. <clears throat> and for our first category, most surreal moment. So for, for me, like, it's, it's not just something that's bizarre in a way that we've seen before. I really want something that's truly, genuinely brain-melting. And if when I think back over the past year... What made me overcome with emotion at its pure mind-frying weirdness and commitment to a concept? And frankly, I have to say, Sam Oosterhoff's Monster Mash parody in question period back on Halloween. As with any government, and certainly as with any Ford government, no shortage of surreal moments. But frankly... Nothing was as weirdly committed as this. In the corner office, we heard Kathleen say, we need more money, let's make them pay. Glenn said, there's no problem, there's a law we can pass. We'll drive up the price on a tank of gas. They did the tax. They did the carbon tax. They did the tax. They wanted all of your cash. They did the tax. We wouldn't have any stash. They did the tax. They did the carbon tax. And it goes on like that for another couple minutes with the whole caucus providing backup. I saw a show at Stratford this past weekend that climaxes with a parody of the Monster Mash, and frankly, Sam Oosterhoff's was better. That kid's got pipes. I mean, of course, in this case, you know, he's making a funny song about the end of, you know, climate policies. But I, I think that that, that that captures a lot, the fact that they can sort of bewitch and enchant us with their purely sublime badness. Excellent choice, Jonathan. Thank you. I was going to nominate another young person, Kyla Ford, Doug Ford's mm. daughter. For me, kind of just this this standout moment of this first year that was just, you know, weird and unexpected and like very incredibly like 2019 was when Kyla, who is a celebrity, I think, or public figure in her own right, she actually has like three times as many Instagram followers as as her father. She's a bodybuilder and sort of a, a health guru, but she uh, did illegal CBD oil sponsored content on her Instagram account, <laughs> uh, you know, just uh, in the, well, Ontario's in the process of, uh, you know, legalizing cannabis and, and Doug Ford's uh, chief of staff, Dean French, was uh, trying to get the cops to crack down on illegal cannabis operations and drag people out in handcuffs. And, and then there's Doug Ford's daughter in a workout outfit, like literally taking the CBD oil in the video. So basically it's um, CBD CBD products and this is my first time trying CBD. I started last week and guys, it is so amazing. All right, so Sam Oosterhoff versus Kyla Ford and the waggy goes to? I think the entire next generation loses. Deal. That, the next generation. <laughs> there, there are no winners here. Uh, just, just the losers, which is the next generation that will have no climate policy, but a great deal of CBD oil. So perhaps those things will complement each other. Best catchphrase in a government, mm. in a politician, in a movement that relies on, to the best it can, governing by catchphrase and professional sloganeering. There's quite a bit of competition here. Allison, what do you think has been the best catchphrase? 
So I'm nominating my personal favorite, which is Promise Made, Promise Kept. Okay. Um, and I like it for, you know, kind of some of the same reasons that you liked the Sam Oosterhof Monster Mash performance. Okay. Um, because the, the PC Caucus took this sort of simple phrase that, like, really lacks a lot of meaning. And, and they turned themselves into a, a Greek chorus in the legislative building where, where one uh, member would say Promise Made – often a minister, and the rest of the backbenchers would all echo back, yes, promise kept. This uh, this has happened uh, dozens and dozens oh of times. God, it's like a it's like a church or a synagogue. I mean, like, this makes me think of, like, Rosh Hashanah services or something. Like, you know, like, amen. Mr. Speaker, we promised that relief would be on the way for the hardworking people of Ontario. Promises made. Promises promise kept. kept. At some point after, you know, some anniversary of a period of time they've been in office, they issued a press release listing all the promises made, promises kept that they that mm. they had. And, yes. you know, it's all something that's like it's all stuff that's super vague, like putting money back in your pockets. And I just, you know, I like that they try to get so specific with it when it's really they're just sort of it's this convoluted kind of mystery promises that nobody can actually quantify. Which catchphrase do you nominate? I feel like Doug Ford has, in a way, taken over and ruined the word and perhaps also the concept of friends. <laughs> uh, just as Doug Ford used to be perpetually and permanently associated with the word folks, aggressively so, that was what he was known for, punctuating every sentence, every address, every statement uh, with the word folks, either beginning or ending or sometimes interjecting it in the middle – to such an extent that prankster-ish performance artist people produced in the 2014 election a whole folks, folks, folks campaign where there would be like what would at first glance appear to be a Doug Ford campaign pamphlet. But when you look closely at it, every single word is folks in all the different sizes and font typefaces and put up a whole website, like folks, folks, folks website. They would show up to rallies and various Doug Ford events with signs that said folks, folks, folks. But he's largely ditched that word. He doesn't come up very often. He's moved over to Friends. Huge pivot. Iconic pivot. Friends was Harper's phrase among other. I mean, Harper didn't invent the concept of Friends. At least let's hope not. Uh, And in fact, the same people who had mock uh, cheered on Doug with the folks for folk science had also showed up to at least one Harper rally with signs that said Friends. But now that's Doug Ford's thing. Friends. And that one word by itself, usually followed by a pause, a period, or an ellipsis or whatever, brings Doug Ford's voice to mind more than any other single word. My friends. My friends. My my friends. My friends. He has very effectively uh, taken advantage of and co-opted a general concept of the underpinning the basic social structure of our society. So congratulations to Doug Ford. Yep. I mean, I think Friends is going to take it because I like but Jonathan's no... idea that it's going to ruin the whole concept of friendship. But there's no like, but there's no like whole PC caucus chant. Friends, 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 friends. That that would be wonderful. Not yet. Moving right along. Our next category is best booting. The nominees for this category will all be people 
that were members of the PC caucus three years ago, post-election, and now are not. Oh, I was actually thinking that would extend to the, the premier's office or the sure. general government. You know what? We can expand the category. Okay. I was thinking Andrew Kimber. He was the guy who was formerly Ford's executive director of issues management and legislative affairs, who was fired in November after it turned out he had sent a bunch of late night messages, possibly drunken messages, to a number of women who had worked for the government, PC staffers, up to and including pictures of him in his underwear. What makes this an especially notable booting? Per the Toronto Star's report, ironically, Kimber was ousted last Friday shortly after telling superiors in the premier's office about an allegation that former economic development minister Jim Wilson made a sexually inappropriate remark to a male staffer the night before. So the timeline apparently was that basically he was the one who told the premier staff about Jim Wilson making apparently an inappropriate pass on someone, which led to Jim Wilson's ouster. And then the next day it comes out that he himself has been doing some inappropriate things that led to him getting fired. As I said at the time, then now this is a shit show worthy of the Ford name, and I stand by that. I'd be so pissed if someone sent me a picture of them in their underwear who I worked for. But moving right along, I nominate Randy Hillier. He was a PC caucus member, longtime PC caucus member. He'd been part of the party and been an MPP for quite some time. He was suspended in February for allegedly using the phrase yada, yada, yada uh, <laughs> to... Uh, I fend off remarks from parents with autism who were in the public galleries of the house, sort of yelling at the government over their uh, very controversial changes. He says that he was saying it to the NDP. I mean, this whole thing was very odd because the Ford government heckles quite liberally. He also apologized. No matter, he was kicked out of the party. He's now said he'll never go back while Doug Ford remains premier. He is also now uh, has accused the premier's office of allowing illegal lobbying. It's a good booting because... Uh, you it know, clearly wasn't actually about the yachting. No, yada. absolutely it wasn't. Hillier's like a pretty independent, sort of strong-minded guy, but also quite affable. However, obviously that is not a good fit uh, for being a member of this caucus. So now he's on the outs, but he's promised some untethered conversation. We haven't quite seen that yet, but I, I await the day that Hillier tells all. Cool. So what do you think? I mean, Kimber's better, though. Is you, Kimber better? I think so. But Hillier's was also just as Hillier's were just a, such a spectacular pl- public blow up, especially since the booting itself. Actually, in both cases, I think the booting seemed like something that was undertaken um, because Doug Ford just didn't have the patience. There's much more reason to, to for Kimber to have not been there. But I definitely get the sense in both cases it was like Doug Ford saying like I don't need this shit. Basically, yes. I guess maybe one of the reasons the Hillier one is good is that because he's still like in Queen's Park every day, right? He's like, it's kind of, you know, Kimber's gone off into the distance. Who knows if we'll ever hear from him again. But, you know, Hillier's presence is sort of a a monument to the booting. So also he would be able to wear his his 40 sticker on, on his lapel after mm. he picks it up after the show. Yeah. And Hillier probably would actually wear it. That's true. This episode of Wag the Dog is brought to you by Penguin Random House Canada. June is National Indigenous History Month, and Penguin Random House Canada is celebrating by highlighting the amazing array of audiobooks available by Indigenous authors. These are books like A Mind Spread Out on the Ground by Alicia Elliott, Starlight by Richard Wagamese, and Split Tooth, the debut novel from throat singer Tanya Tagak. 
I read Split Tooth early this year, and I thought it was beautiful. One thing I really liked about it was was the imagery. Tanya, she writes about wildlife that, you know, moves through her community in this, I don't know, almost like mischievous way. The The character in the book is always seemingly like sharing thoughts with a, with a fox or, or letting lemmings play in her hair. I also learned about sundogs from the book. Do you know what those are? No. So it's like this atmospheric phenomenon that I guess happens in the north when the sun is so bright and like ice is everywhere and and, and it refracts off the ice and it looks like the sun is in the center of the sky and then there's like these two other suns on either side of it. The sun dogs are mentioned almost as if they're this... Something that that follows her and is is with her all huh. the time, and I, I'd never heard of it before, and I thought that was really cool. Oh, interesting. You can get Split Tooth or any of these other books wherever you get audiobooks. And Penguin Random House Canada is giving away a collection of audiobooks by Indigenous authors to one lucky winner. That could be you. Visit penguinrandomhouse.ca slash Indigenous Voices for a chance to win. Next category is Best Ministerial Twitter Account. What do you have? Okay, I have uh, Lisa McLeod. Oh. Yeah. She is the Minister of Children and Youth Services, also the Minister of Status of Women. And, you know, McLeod, she has this, like, unbridled ability to be both, like, a partisan attack dog and also play the victim oh, a Oh, like lot. Michelle Rempel. Yes, actually, very similar. And it's really quite something. And I think her, her Twitter account really encapsulates Ugh. these contradictions. Um, and she's really fast to call people out who attack her. She'll, like, call things misogynistic, but kind of fails to take any real accountability for stuff that she does and, and seems to deflect by using feminism. Oh, like Michelle Rempel. Yeah, there you go. You know, one thing she did last summer, just to to kind of explain this, is uh, when Caroline Mulroney, uh, she's the attorney general, and the government was passing that notwithstanding clause or introduced that notwithstanding clause in a bill. One of the questions people were asking Caroline was, what does your dad think of this? Which I understand, like, could be construed as a sexist comment, but however, her dad was the former prime minister who's like on the record mm-hmm. saying the notwithstanding clause is terrible. Mm-hmm. So she, you know, basically as a deflection mechanism, McLeod called Andrea Horvath misogynistic and, and and sexist for saying that. And she's just really quick to like use these phrases. She also has said numerous times that conservative female politicians get way more wrath than politicians from the left. I mean, Kathleen Wynn people, we've saw like this is she said that months after Kathleen Wynne got the most hate uh, I think anyone can possibly imagine Uh, I mean this is like such a hard thing to talk about and I I actually think if anything she gets more of a pass because she's a woman because this is like this is like a multi-layered complex conversation to be having about like conservatism and feminism and like this moment we have we're saying you know calling something misogynistic might get people on your side which might not necessarily have been the case 20 years ago but then using that power really just as a partisan distraction technique is not very feminist at all and another example of this is lisa mcleod has been very vocal and outspoken about her own struggles with with mental health, like depression and anxiety, which is admirable. Um, 
on her Twitter account, she she frequently talks about this. She uh, will like share memes, like upworthy memes about anxiety and how it's it's tough to get out of bed in the morning. However, earlier this week, she uh, a PC fundraising email that was like signed by her was attacking protesters uh, outside Queens Park and calling them nuts. We've had protesters bring a mock guillotine and call for Doug's head. Not true, Jonathan. These people are nuts, but they're loud. I don't think she wrote this herself, but she is... She put her name on it. She put her fucking name on it. Lisa McLeod, MPP, Nepean. Yeah, it's just another exactly like a, a perfect contradictory thing to do for someone who, you know, wants to fight for unstigmatizing mental health. Um, so I think that her Twitter account, is, yeah, like I said, is just kind of a distillation of all of this. Like your head can basically be spinning from like tweet to tweet because mm. you just it's really hard to, to to see where she's going with with a lot of things. But no one really talks about it. But it's 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 a little bit messy. Think she'll tweet about this? I hope not. Okay. Oh, who do you nominate, Jonathan? Oh, who do I nominate? Yes, um, best ministerial I'm Twitter for- account. I mean, it's not a minister so much as the the government of Ontario itself. A mm. uh, reader, I, I shared this with you earlier. Like uh, a reader, uh, or a reader, or a listener. I don't know. Someone emailed us at Canada Land, uh, <laughs> just pointing out that for and offering screenshots of, for whatever reason, the Ontario government accidentally not clear paid to promote a tweet from Sportsnet. Uh, <laughs> the the tweet is, I don't know, some sports broadcaster guy, I don't know, sports, and the, the quote, they've got to look at roster composition rather than tearing it down. Hashtag Hockey Central, talk about what's next for the hashtag sharks. Promoted by Ontario government, it was, according to the screenshot, uh, delivered to this person because Ontario government wants to reach people above the age of 25 and located here, Ontario, Canada, from the verified Ontario Gov, that's at ONGOV, Twitter account. So the best ministerial Twitter account is the Ontario government itself, which for some non-sequitur reason is apparently promoting tweets about the roster composition of the um, the San Jose Sharks. Yours is better, though. Should we give it to Lisa McLeod? Oh, my God, yes. Next up, most harmful policy decision. Who do you nominate, Jonathan? <sighs> the utter in. Enthusiasm with which they have fought any kind of climate initiative, and as you've we've pointed out in the show before, and as you've explained at length, have also sort of tried to make it more difficult for people to implement such things in the future. Goodness knows <laughs> the government, like every government, is in charge of many, many services and has done a poor job with many, many services that support people's lives in any number of respects. But in terms of what is arguably the single most important looming crisis facing humanity ever. A lot of governments have difficulty taking action on it. They're one of those governments that is happily and energetically running in the other direction to arguably hasten our demise. That's that's my nominee. I nominate the PC government's refugee policies. Mm. Because I guess actually in the same vein, um, not only have they like just stirred up 
let's say, you know, public sympathy for their own position, kind of like the scrap the carbon tax, uh, the carbon tax Mm -hmm. is costing you money sort of uh, rhetoric on the climate change front. They did the same thing last summer. If you remember, illegal border crossers Mm -hmm. this, illegal border crossers that, saying the federal government owes them money for this. And, you know, just really making a big bluster out of Mm -hmm. something that was in a lot of ways, less of an issue than they were it was, making it seem. Yeah, not really there. Not really a fight anyone had expected them to voluntarily pick. Right, absolutely. And again, Lisa McLeod uh, was sort of the face of a lot of this. Um, but since then, uh, they have both cut legal aid funding, specifically legal aid funding for the Immigration and Refugee Services budget, which basically means that refugees that now have to go before a hearing or asylum hearing will not often no longer be able to get legal representation or they won't have help collecting, you know, evidence or other documents that are required to support their case. And even more recently, they cut something called the Transition Child Benefit, which in the past had given about 200 or $210 a month to refugee families to feed and clothe their children uh, while they await hearings. And now they are no longer getting that. So oh, wow. advocates say there's, you know, there's people in transition housing here in Toronto that, you know, 200 bucks a month to feed your kids is nothing. And now they, they don't even get that. So it's just... Uh, I think yeah. that that's it's just really harmful to, again, the, the wrong people. Although, sorry to bring it back around to Lisa McLeod again, but she said in question period just last week, uh, when asked about this transition funding, she said, is it fair to give a taxpayer subsidy to those who are crossing the border illegally and will likely be deported? We do take exception to those who do not file taxes, and that's why we're making this move. Uh, crossing the border illegally. So it's about people who are violating the Customs Act. Either way, I think we can still give this to climate change. I'm actually super excited about this next award. Best Spin. Jonathan, who do you nominate? Uh, I mean, Doug Ford himself mm-hmm. has, you know, magical degrees of spin. Um, you know, happy to say anything that may or may not be tethered to reality in, in any particular respect. Uh, and there's there's so many things we could choose. I mean, my favorite, I think the one that's just the most immaculate of all the things he's offered probably wasn't even written or spoken by him, but it's from, you know, in in a party fundraising email with his name on it and ostensibly written in his voice. So the subject line is, I call it listening. Jonathan, folks out there have a lot of names to call me. One of them they seem to think is bad is calling me a populist. I'm not sure they think it's a bad thing. I call it listening, but not to the full-time protesters. Not to the full-time activists or lobbyists. I listen to the people who aren't paying attention to politics day in, day out. I love that spin. In a way, it is brutally honest. I listen to the people who aren't paying attention. He is very directly, openly, and proudly admitting that his constituency is people who don't pay attention to politics. And that's who people who most support him. On the one hand... Whether you pay attention to politics or not, you deserve rep- political representation and you deserve to have your interests advocated for. On the other hand, you, you wouldn't be something necessarily to be proud of that your biggest fans are the people who aren't paying attention to what you're doing. That the more someone pays attention to your actions and your statements, uh, the less likely they are to be a supporter of yours. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's I guess it's easier to be popular among people who don't really know what you're doing except for what you tell them you're doing. 
for I the people. That was brilliant. For the people. Uh, I also nominate Doug Ford for this award. I, I just I've thought about this one so many times because it's so it's so simple. It's so easy to disprove. He he said uh, last summer when he was announcing the Bucca Beer program mm-hmm. uh, during a press conference, I think someone asked him, you know, like, what about drinking and driving? What about alcoholism? Why do we need to make beer cheaper? And his response was, people in Ontario are mature enough to know when they've had one too many. No. <laughs> it's just, why, why, Premier, why, why would you say that? But but it's so he says it so cleanly like people in Ontario they know they know how not to have one too many no more questions that's it he has three siblings at least two of whom have have suffered from very serious substance issues but you know that's sort of the ultimate I guess it's the ultimate logic of conservatism is this idea of personal responsibility it's also he, pointless spin like he didn't have to say that no it probably just came to him. I don't think anyone would have written it. Well, yeah, but it's almost as scary that the person who's in charge of our healthcare system effectively is the person is the person who basically believes you can will yourself out of disease. Like or I mean, if we're even not talking about like substance abuse disease, it's pretty freaking obvious if you go to any bar at two o'clock in the morning in Ontario, you're going to find some people that didn't know that they haven't had too many. Like it's it's just such a simple proposition to be defeated. Mm-hmm. But anyways, congratulations to Doug Ford on Best Spin Award. Getting it towards our last categories, because we've already awarded foreign language film and featured actor in a musical. Doug Ford's best and or most needless battle. What do you say, Allison? For me, it's a best battle award. And I'm giving that award to, well, hmm, I'll explain to and you can help me choose who I should fully nominate. Okay. But right now, Doug Ford is battling with uh, the the conglomerates that own the beer store. Hmm. So Molson, uh, Coors, and, and Sleeman, these big multinational corporations, who are uh, fighting back very hard against his plan to basically wipe out their contract to sell beer in Ontario. But like, I just love this battle because it's fun to actually for once watch Doug like punching up, Mm. Uh, you know? It's just like he, it's fun to watch him fight these big billion dollar companies and like, as opposed to, you know, fighting against children with autism. It's just like such a better look. And I feel like Ford, I mean, as we've kind of said, his political ideology is is narrow or thin mm-hmm. at a lot of times. And if that means he can be like a conservative that fights big business lobbies, like that could be fun. So that's like maybe my preemptive nominee. But I think a future nominee could be Sidewalk Labs because he's apparently very angry with Sidewalk Labs for they sort of told insiders, I guess, uh, last November, basically they their their smart city proposition is on this area of Toronto called Keyside, but they want to actually try to make it take over the whole Portlands, which is about like three times as size as Keyside, as well as Keyside. So Ford is apparently like really ticked off at them for this. The Ford people have already fired a bunch of people at Waterfront TO over this. And this is also the Portlands is exactly where Doug Ford wanted to put his Ferris wheel mm-hmm. while he was a city councillor. Just side note, but if we can like have Doug Ford fighting like Alphabet Inc., I'd be here for that. 
I mean, I haven't seen the new Godzilla movie, and I almost certainly will never see the new Godzilla movie. But is this one of those cases where we hope that the the giant monster will hopefully fight the other monsters and then not turn on us afterward? And that hopefully they're doing it for good principled reasons, but that we really forget that they're actually, you know, you can only control them so much. So I don't know. As much as I love the idea of Doug Ford throwing his weight around against Sidewalk Labs or against the conglomerate of the beer store, I, I don't know. I, f- I feel weird cheering him on as any sort of anti-hero. I don't know. I'm not sure it's coming from a place of principle necessarily. I feel like in both cases, it could just as easily go or have gone a different way depending on which lobbyist had gotten to him first or which people he happened to be friends with. Um, I think you're right, but that does not take away from how good of a battle it could be to watch. It, do, it does potentially take away from what the ultimate policy solution or ultimate result is or what, what is the ultimate ends they're fighting toward. I mean, if he's just trying to get Google out of here so his friends can come, go in and develop the waterfront however he <laughs> I mean, wants. Possibly. <laughs> I mean, like, that's probably no more democratic. So I'm not too excited about that. But that is interesting and that is something worth watching. So who what's your best battle? Um, for me, I mean, it's not even saying it's not even most worthwhile battle. It's more the opposite. It's like, what are the things they stepped in and then blew up on their faces? What did he not realize he was getting into or dick hicking up when he got into it? And I mean, the whole everything with the autism policy changes. There is no way they would have done this if they had realized what the consequences would be for them. If they had realized how organized and how emotional and passionate the people who would be on the short end of the stick in that policy would turn out to be and how sympathetic those people would turn out to be. So it's like they're going into battle blindfolded, not by necessity, but Yeah, I mean, it's like they're fine with cuts in the abstract. They're fine with efficient, which is, you know, the idea of efficiency. They're fine with reining in budgets, slashing things or whatever until it actually affects someone. Often they're fine with it affecting someone too, but people who are affected can often fight back. And they find often, and, they, and these the government very frequently, not surprisingly, finds it hard to justify specific cuts that have been made because they like cuts in the abstract. And when it concretely affects people's lives, they then have to come up with an explanation for things that are largely arbitrary, irrational, and unnecessary. The autism fight reminded me of nothing so much as when Doug Ford started going after libraries as a city councillor. One of the few genuinely great things about Toronto, one of the few things that is actually world class to the extent that term means anything, and one of the few things people actually like about Toronto is the public library system. He didn't understand what he was what what he was doing, what the consequences would be for starting to attack that, and that frankly there'd be way more people who are sympathetic with the library than interested in any desire to pick it apart. And it blew up in his face and it ultimately led to uh, this cascade of backlash and resistance that I wouldn't say it, it certainly didn't bring down the government, but it absolutely shredded 
any semblance of a policy agenda they had. Well, that also brings my mind to another iconic battle, which is a bit more recent, and that also involves a library, which was the Ford government did cut mm-hmm. some uh, provincial library resources, specifically uh, money that they used to like do interlibrary loans, mm-hmm. uh, which resulted in, do you know what I'm going to say? A bunch of old ladies showing mm-hmm. up at Sam Oosterhoff's constituency office to have a read-in. So they were going to silently read in the chairs in his office to protest the fact they couldn't get library loans so they couldn't have their book club anymore. And Oosterhoff's staff called the police on them. Maybe that's the best battle? Cause... Yeah, I mean, Sam Oosterhoff uh, battling old people is, yeah. Congratulations to the book club. I hope that you're still operating. It's been a long 12 months, but we've made it to our final category of the show. Greatest achievement. Jonathan? Not surprisingly, Doug Ford's greatest achievement has been re-sparking this spirit of organizing and activism among the people of Ontario. This thing that in, in a broad sense had been dormant or at least not as visible for quite a long time. When the services and programs and initiatives and policies that people rely on are threatened and attacked, people will organize and stand up and resist. And it forces you to have to articulate those values that you stand for. It forces he's forced people to have to articulate and explain why is the society important? Why is government important? Why do we have the things we ha- we have? It's not a matter of taking all these things for granted. It's about reconsidering, reevaluating, appreciating, and fighting for all of these things that are part of our day-to-day lives and our neighbors' day-to-day lives and our friends and families and the people of this province. And Doug Ford's greatest achievement has been reminding us why that's important, why that's worthwhile, and the fact that, frankly, in a majority government situation, the fact is, in some respects, these few levers do work where the public stands up and makes it known that going through with a particular policy or change proposal is going to be a lot worse for the government in the long run. And they've backed down. And I think that's been really hopeful, is reminding us that our democratic system isn't entirely broken. And as long as people can be actively engaged, especially between elections, it's not all bleak. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it has the, you know, the the power of the people to pressure the government to backtrack on, on various things has been interesting to watch. And it seems like there's now kind of a bit of a playbook for it that, you know, the, the it's, I mean, it's still organized by various, you know, groups, um, you know, mayors or uh, unions or, you know, parents of autistic children. Mm. But the fact that they now know if they organize in certain ways and put pressure on in certain ways that they can make change, I think maybe bodes well for the next the next few years Mm -hmm. of keeping a government in check, which is what, you know, these type of groups in the public are are allowed to do. More allowed Um, to do or should should do. That's kind of the role of the public. So what do you think the greatest achievement of Ford and or his government are? I think that the greatest achievement uh, is a bit of more of a cynical one, but is just like the 
Ford and his premier's office staff's, I suppose, ability to like really orchestrate this public image of caucus unity that is almost uh, mind-blowingly dumb uh, a lot of the time. I mean, we just came off a weekend where the Ford government had nearly all of its MPPs out in convenience stores taking pictures of the uh, fridges that were full of stocked with milk and and, and shock and awe that there's no beer in in these stores, which is, you know, tomfoolery and it's it's been widely mocked. And, you know, perhaps they're just sort of trolling the Twitterati with with this kind of stuff. But the, the greatest achievement could be, you know, getting Caroline Mulrooney to walk around one of these stores in an Instagram video. Video with a, a basket full of chips uh, talking about how, you know, her family, it's really good for families to be able to buy beer there. I mean, I think if you had... It's what they all deserve. Yeah, you know, I think if you just asked Caroline's society or like private investor friends, uh, you know, a, a year and a half ago, if they'd ever pictured her doing something like this, they, they would be, I, I think they'd be surprised. Good. <laughs> <laughs> They all ought to have known what they signed up for. And if it's causing them embarrassment, fine. And who gets the award then? Hope or cynicism? Let's give it to Hope. That was the Dougies, or perhaps the Randies, or the Cathies, a pop-up award show from Wag the Doug. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me at Goldsby. That, that's on Twitter. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me at, at Queen's Park Today. Our producer is Kevin Sexton. He has also written some music for this episode. And our theme song is remixed by Nathan Burley. And one more thing, if you are in Toronto, you can come to a live taping of Wag the Doug at the Toronto Outdoor Art Fair next month. It's a really cool annual festival in Nathan Phillips Square every summer, and uh, we'll be there doing a show on uh, the general topic of Doug Ford versus the arts. So the festival, it runs from July 12th to July 14th, and our show will be on Saturday, July 13th at 3.15 p.m. Come, Come say hi. Congratulations to all of our winners. Thank you and good night.